you for listening to Black Women Are Scary, the podcast that celebrates people of color writing horror. Our Flash Fiction Friday guest is writer Tracy Cross, author of the novel Root Work and an alumni of our podcast. So let's lean in and listen to some scary black women. reading and I will tell you what stood out the most in a lexicographer for me were the descriptions of the things that were there like when he ate the last piece of fruit and he waited until it turned the color of his skin yeah. and then he decided that it was it was the details like that that I was listening to but then at the same time I'm thinking like this is the last of this person this is like what does it feel like to be the last of it how can you describe something if you're the last of it that after you eat that last bit no longer exists you know yeah i there's a real sense of like extinction in yeah this. yeah like, <laughs> and you're using words to describe something but you don't have a picture of it. There's no visual of it. So people just kind of have to like, you know, uh, you take your word for it. <laughs> like when those guys dug up that woolly mammoth, I think in France, and then they had like, it was like a uh, like a, a multi-million dollar supper club. And they were like, look, we've dug up this woolly mammoth and now we're going to have like this exotic fruit, you know, this exotic mammoth to eat. And then they were like, well, what did the woolly mammoth taste like? Now that you've like, you know, brought it back to life and done all this, it just tasted like gray meat. You know, it's just like, to you, it tasted like gray meat. But to the people that probably it was alive when they ate it, it probably tasted better, you know, like. Wait, first, so they ate a woolly mammoth? Who was this? They, they, they found a woolly mammoth. They cooked it. Like they, they rehydrated it as best as they could. And then they had a meal. They ate it. Who was this? This was in France. France is crazy. They do oh stuff. Oh my goodness. Some like rich person. How yeah, did they legally, rich. they must have had to buy it. Like, yeah, they did. That's it like an artifact or something. It's a fossil. Dollars they bought oh. it and then they cooked it. Like, they're having. Oh, different... so they bought a woolly mammoth. Suit. They bought an extinct animal to eat it to know what it's like to eat as an extinct animal. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's the most ridiculous use of funds. It's stupid. <laughs> it's, it's totally. And yet I would have been the one that had been there like, yo, yo, let's just give them something. Like, take the money and just give them something. You know, yeah, just like, give them chicken and say it's Willie Mammoth. <laughs> you know, just like, don't put no seasonings on it, y'all. Don't, don't French it up. You know, it's yeah, but like, like um, don't, but don't give them the Willie Mammoth. Like, <laughs> you can't think of the, um, there's a bird in France. Dodo bird? Oh no. no, no, it's in France, and Francois Mitterrand was the last president to have it, and it's it's a very tiny bird, and you you have to stuff it like you eat it like you um just basically overfeed this bird, and then you eat the bird with a napkin over your face to hide your shame. And what? It's so <laughs> yeah, it's so illegal. Like I'm a writer, I know these things, because I just I I find it like incredibly like. What? You know, but they have like, you have to eat the bird underneath the napkin, you know, to hide your shame. But it's such a good 
bird they like ate so much of it in like the 18th century that it was out <gasps> they ate it into extinction yes yes so now you have to like find people that can kind of grow this bird but it's illegal and you know they this really like black market eating habit. yeah like wow. nobody's gonna be like you got this bird you know we gotta take the bird but no it's just I so just, it's not extinct it's just endangered it's very endangered, but it's to the point where they're like, just don't eat it. Like, if you find it, don't eat it. Like, just don't even tell us. Just put it away. We don't want to know that it's here because you you fools will eat it. You know, all of you guys will just go And through. so it's so endangered that when you eat it, you need to hide your face because you know that you're, that's how deep you know you're wrong. Is yeah. that even when you consume it, you should be ashamed. Yes, you hide and your that's that's part of the joy of eating it is the shame <laughs> the shame of it like it's so good it's so sinfully delicious that i can't show you the deliciousness on my face i think there was an episode of american dad where roger the alien had the bird and he ate it and he like went out of his mind and had like this lsd like flashback trip while he was eating the bird oh and he was God. trying to get tickets to a celine dion concert so when he came back into himself he was just like oh my god i missed the celine dion concert because the bird was so good <laughs> like, oh my god <laughs> that makes me think of atlanta did you see that episode they do the no. same thing where they cover their faces and they're eating something and so and it, they're covering their face so they can't see what they're eating and i thought it was so they don't know what they're eating, but it. But now that you've told me this, I think I understand that episode a little better. Where they be were covering the their faces from the shame of their eating because they were the eating human eating. hands. They were eating what? Human hands. There's just human hands on their plates, and it was. Uh, I know. So it was like some like, and it was in France. So now that you've said this, I'm like, oh, this is totally a reference to this because they were in Paris. And what's the name? The the main woman, she was like pretending to be French and she just like was having a breakdown. And one of her friends was there with having like a girl's trip. And then she was like, hey, and they ended up hanging out with her for a while while she was just doing all these crazy things. And that's how they ended up at this dinner because she was working in the kitchen of this crazy dinner. And so they sat down and then like, the whole thing, it was so funny because they, you know, it was, this is, it was like three black chicks on a girl's trip and the whole, and when they sat down and they were doing that and they started eating it, but they lifted the veils and they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they like, they were like, get the fuck out of here. And they left. Uh, anyway, but you know, that, that whole episode was really about like more than just that, but that was like a, that was something that happened. And I, at the time I was like, I guess they're hiding, they're hiding their faces because it's supposed to be. Like the guests aren't really supposed to know what they're eating. They're just supposed to ingest it and like just enjoy the meal. Like, you know, no matter. But I think, no, there's no, there's no way that they're not referencing this too. They have to be referencing. It's a little yeah. bit weird. It starts with a P. I can't think of the name but of it. But it was human hands. I, I would <laughs> die because there's, how could you, I don't know. Because I, I am a polyglot, I speak several languages. I know hand in like you know in yeah. several languages you have to be just kind of mm, to not know that you're eating a hand no they must have known it's just the it was just the other women that were there that didn't know because they weren't initially invited to the party they went in there because you know the main woman in atlanta who's the character name escapes me but you know who i'm talking about zazie beats plays her yeah yeah um 
she was working in the kitchen and so they followed her so and they were just like friends from Atlanta that ran into her while she was trying to pretend to be somebody else but yeah I guess everybody there did know they were eating human hands and they and they were hiding their faces because of the shame not because of, you know you wonder like where did they get the hands like is there a one-handed chef in the kitchen you know like no they... no there was this whole other thing beforehand where she was like fighting with people so like they were clearly getting hands from people on the street <laughs> like it was nefarious <laughs> it's so weird it reminds me of I saw the devil that uh, Korean movie where- I have not seen that. I know what you're talking about. I have not seen that movie. I'm not even gonna um, give you the spoiler. Cause- Yeah, movie, don't even tell me because we're going like wildly off track. Yeah, it's two like, hours. Uh, <laughs> which is not in that space at all, right? Like nobody had to be ashamed of anything. So there, yeah. you know, he didn't have any shame. But it was um, the fact that he's like, he saved the fruits. He saved everything that he could from the island. Mm. and it was like I just want to save this you know so you can like he can like pass it off or or give it to someone he drew the pictures he wrote the language everything that he remembered and then he had to eat it and I just felt bad for him <laughs> but I was just because I was just like I understand you know what that's like where you like this is the last of x and if I eat it no one else will ever know what it is so but I want to save this and I want this to share with other people but if he's the last of it then it's like everybody you got to take my word man it was really good like I waited it was good so and the banana is just like one aspect of that like he's the last of his people so him writing these things down and being like is like remembering and making a record of how his people spoke to one another like I like so yeah when he the airport she says all of y'all it means all of y'all where he yeah like, like just the breaking down of just like him deciding what is important to be recorded like people need to know that we used to say this was um was really romantic for me but also really sad because I'm thinking about you know because language death is real yeah right definitely. like languages die for real for real and like with that so do those people and their culture and it's kind of like but the other thing is that in some instances like uh gala languages get absorbed into mm. other languages so you can look at a movie like um oh the one with the kids and the, the, the maze runner where all of those kids are speaking some kind of conglomerate language based on all of the languages from where they've come from. So that is one of the other things that I thought about this because I was just like, you know, in leaving, trying to leave a legacy of the linguistics of this, this people behind, my fear would be that someone would come and commandeer it and then like take it and absorb it into another language so then it doesn't stay its own unique thing it becomes a part of something else yeah we can carry it on because the yeah. whole point of the legacy is to have something you know what is it go back for what you left behind so it's yeah. to have something like that but you do run the risk of when it's absorbed into another culture species or whatever that it adapts itself yeah meaning turns from what it was into something else oh yeah no i mean what is it like um like the the amish who speak they speak one way the dutch amish in, in pennsylvania speak one way that and it's not necessarily a language that's like spoken 
they speak by like Dutch like people that. anymore. Yeah, what do they say? English. Everyone else is called the English. Oh, you're English. Yeah, but they actually have a way of speaking that's like, because they moved there and they were isolated and then it like, it now it's taken on its own life, right? Yeah. And like, it's not like where they came from. I mean, it's just kind of what happens. Like, it is both you, you keep a, a culture and a language, but it has to, it has to adapt. It has to adapt. It has to hybridize. It has to am amalgamate. That's just like what surviving is. It right? has to because the people who originally spoke it, you have to think about other things like the evolution of the human mouth and like the way that your lips are. Yeah. And also the landscape and like who they're talking with. So like in the case of this story, like then the woman comes over and she was so happy to hear somebody speak like her, you know, hear, meet another one of her people and hear her language, like hear the way they speak again. I remember her saying like, it was just so nice to talk to somebody else and hear them, hear them speak like how we speak. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the story ends with all these other people coming on from the boat that are just like, I'll be on this boat. I'm trying to mess, mess with y'all on this island. And like, they're from all over, right? Like they're just like people who survived who are on this boat. So then that that's gonna further, like the, the way this island now, communicates is, is going to change again even with his even with his lexicography right like even with the book as a reference it dilutes like, yeah it's it's gonna like it's gonna it's gonna change because you're gonna have all these other people coming in and like you're like building the, the island anew the tower of babel it just dilutes so it starts like at the top this is the original language and then it just kind of because everyone has a different way of speaking talking tones and everything even the way you hear something could sound different than like, I know that when I had like my allergy sickness, I couldn't hear people at all. So I would say what I thought you were saying. And they're like, no, I wasn't saying that. I was saying, you know, come and help me do this. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were telling me to go to lunch. You know, it was just like <laughs> different types of languages. But it's then whenever I hear that person say that, then my brain will automatically go back to, well, that was what you thought when they were telling you to go to lunch, but it wasn't it, you know? So that's the other thing that was kind of, it made me sad, like when other, it, cause it's just like, you have one person that's doing all of this and then you have other people that come back. And the thing is, is like, they're adding their own spin on it. Yeah. And well, but is it sad on. though? Cause like, I don't know. Because I was it, talking it he ran into the snake and then the snake was like, you know, I'm bringing you these fruits back. The bird was like, the snake's sending you these fruits. And he's just like, oh my God, it was like a year before I ever saw these fruits. And now the snake yeah. is like, here are these fruits that I'm bringing back, you know, that are popping up daily over here, you know, but you got to keep what you're doing, what you're doing. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. You just keep sending me these fruits. So it's a sign that like, okay, life will go on. Yeah, you know? but it will not be the same. Like Exactly. I didn't really get the impression though that anything was gonna die. I actually kind of felt like even if things were gonna change and adapt, that this man and this woman have kept something alive that was that should remain. I felt like this whole story was about restoring, rejuvenating, um, even preserving more than losing anything or diluting anything. Uh, it feels kind of, like it, but it, it. 
like like with the whole legacy thing. Yeah, right. What is what is the role of legacy in this story? You feel like I mean, for me, it's lexicography is all about legacy. Yeah, it is because that's where it seems like that would be the base of it. But the thing is, is like you have to. When I think about my book Root Work, I think about the legacy. Like, what am I leaving behind that? people can look at and go, okay, this is how it was back then based on what she knew. And with that, the legacy that the character is leaving is that he does have like written down, he's written down all the things that he knew and everything, cause while it was still basically fresh in his mind, mm. but you know, nobody thought like during, like, oh, well, while we're living in this hedonism, let's just start recording our past. <laughs> no, 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 some of that. Yeah, <laughs> and like I definitely got that sense too. Like everybody seemed to be <laughs> surprised by this oceanic rapture. And I'm like, I know there was warning signs. I know you you guys didn't just like wake up one day and you were flooded, but like no one was prepared, right? And that that felt right because that that speaks to where we are right now. Yeah, because she's like, there's hundreds hundred dollar bills in the streets. It's like, why are y'all worrying about this money? We need to get yeah. off this island. Yeah. <laughs> so that made me laugh a little bit because I was like, I, I would be the one that would be worried about the money. <laughs> I would be like, let me. But, feel, but it's it's like in keeping with all the like, even though this isn't a horror story, it's very in keeping with that. Like that whole that part where she's saying that made me think about twenty eight days later when he woke up and there was like nobody and there was just money in the street. Yeah, and he got up and he just started grabbing the money. Yeah, he would like grab money and like put it in a bag, but then after a while he stopped doing it because it's like, why are there all why is there why are there all these euros just like in the street and they were just like trash? Like no one it's like it's oh, capitalism is so over because like euros are just like paper in the street, my dude. Yeah, yeah. It was just you there's a part of your mind that goes back to thinking like when I didn't have, and now I will have all of this money. But then there's that other part that's like, I know as a writer, I'm just like, let's just try and conserve what we had here, folks. You know, let's just let's just talk about this. Now, Is it, can anybody draw? We need like uh, <laughs> pictures of what this food looked like. You know, it's like um, my sister worked at the Folger Shakespeare Library and I bought out these books. And some of the books have these really weird drawings of animals. And so you you start to wonder, like, were these authentic drawings? You know, because these books were like from the 15, 14, 1300s. Mm. And they have like these dragon looking creatures and stuff. And you're like, you're like was this a real thing that existed? Right back then? <laughs> or was somebody like tripping off a of some mescaline and like drawing in they the, the wrong berries? And they you were know, like, you know, Brother Paul has gone and had some of those red berries again. And he's drawing, right. the books. you know, it right. just makes you wonder. But then like, you do know that at some point back then things were different. Like what he would refer to as the banana probably would be something else. I mean, it was the fruit that got me because the snake was just like, I got it all over here. And if you keep doing what you're doing, then I'm going to keep bringing this fruit over to you. you yeah. Know? And I was also really interested in, in, you mentioned the snake, like the animals and the way that they adapted and how they changed in size and shape and things based on the car. ecology. Yeah. Like I was imagining them giant. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, stop. This is an island with a tree and a snake head is the size of a car. So how big is the island? Like, is the snake? It's mostly snake. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's, it's mostly snake. Around the island. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it's bringing fruit 
in its mouth. So how big is the fruit? Is the snake how really? Much, how much fruit are we talking about here? Also, just like his like figuring out ways to communicate with them, like that, like you know, like now he's got like other linguistic abilities. Just the way and that the snake, you know, the animals were talking about how humans also change. Like they were saying, he can. Like he eventually mermaid. started like yeah, he started to like get gills. Mm -hmm. being on the water so much you know that it was just like you're gonna change you're gonna adapt and it was a very like it's okay you don't have to get back on this boat because you will you will fit your body and everything will fit nature will figure it life finds a way right <laughs> nature, finds a way. <laughs> nature will figure it out and you will adapt so it's also i thought it was interesting that like people were changing people at least through our characters that we were following yeah their physiology was also changing they were everybody they were becoming a new people for a new time yeah it was like when they said now they've formed half human half sea creature or something yeah, like that yeah 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 i'm thinking like whoa is this like a mermaid or what, what is happening here you know what is going and it was like they said it and then they kind of like well maybe not really you know like because they did say it was a half human like like a mermaid and she didn't even like but then it kind of went on and they were like yeah it wasn't really? it wasn't like it dwelled on that it was just more like you if you're going to live on the water you're going to figure it out and it's true like you know I've seen the documentaries of people who do live on water and they can hold their breath longer and they can walk on the you know can dive down because they just you adapt you adapt to your Pro divers in, yeah uh, like it like this is a real thing that humans do um, yeah, their lungs evolve naturally yeah. to be able to hold longer, like, breaths of air, which you just kind of, that is mesmerizing to me because, you know, you have, like, one generation that was just, like, a regular group of people, and then you go, like, five or six generations down the line, and then you got these people that are holding their breath, diving down, and, like, you know, basically mm. in spades underwater for, like, three days and then coming back up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's fine. like, crazy. Yeah, it's fine. You know, you, know just... you have people living in these extreme environments now. And so this, I feel like, was a look at, like, how we're going to be all right. Like, we can do it. But also, it felt very scary to me because it's like extreme environments will now be the norm. Yes. Right? Like, we're all going to, yes, we're all going to adapt and we're all going to change because everywhere is going to be extreme. Yes, but then you'll have the other people that have not quite accepted adapting. Yeah, and yeah. That's the, this is the boat, right? The people the on the boat. You know, like, <laughs> well, y'all can stay over there, but we're going to stay over here and we're going to just stay how, how things used to be. It's that old, one old woman that's just like, remember in the old times back when? And you're like, well, back we're my adapting. Day. Yeah. We have flying jet cars and you're still taking a turtle like across the bridge. So I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. But and I do, I feel like that one of the characters, I think it was one of the animals who said, you know, like when they were trying to convince Sahura for, <laughs> to stay on the island, it's just, they were saying like, your skin is already changing. If you look at, if you look, he has gills, you're, you know, this is going to happen to you too. And it's like the people on the boat, they're not, like they were basically making a case like you're better off. Because the bird be, was. Yeah, the bird. you'll you'll be you'll be prepared for what is to come, and the people on the boat like they're not gonna last. Yeah, because she's like, um, I'm not going, and uh, you kind of don't have to go either, and but... you shouldn't go, and yeah. you should, and here's why. So like the the fact that like you know you have these like accommodations and this modernity, like I felt like the boat was like 
tech the the book had the boat had robots like the boat was like tech the boat was like our contemporary society and like they were like but the earth is changing like this and those people are not going to be able to to survive it's but it's also like what's the rush you know what's what's the rush why mm. why are we rushing towards this technology and stuff mm. when everything was just as good back on the island on the i might have tried to get on a boat you know no the first thing i would think is like uh monkey butlers or something like that like i need like somebody need to help me build like a, a big old hut. monkey butlers <laughs> i butlers. just that like different monkeys like ah! <laughs> you're like yeah let's do it monkey <laughs> right with the snake bring back more fruit, more fruit. oh my god oh that's so funny <laughs> Like you want this pen? You want this banana? Where the fruit at, boy? Go, go oh, I have the one pen. banana. I have the one banana, and you can have it. <laughs> go get we'll this one thing. Split it. Uh, so yeah, so legacy is clear in here. But what about like your work? Do you ever think about legacy in in what you're doing? You mentioned root work, so we're yeah, thinking about legacy. I think it's about legacy because when I'm gone, this is what I've left behind. And like my grandmother, both of my grandmothers have passed. So mm. all I have are the stories that they told me. But the mm. difference is with the stories that they told me, I'm writing them down and I'm sharing them with others. So hopefully this will inspire someone else to share their legacy as well. Because, I mean, we have to face it as Blacks in this country, you know, and some people just want to wipe our legacy away. They just want to say, like, you know, this is this never happened. Like, I'm hearing so many people were like, slaves were happy. <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, you know, and they're like, you know, slaves were happy. And, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, one fourth of me wants to go through the screen and yoke this woman. And then like three fourths of me is like, just keep writing. Just keep writing because that's your legacy. That's what, you know, you can, you can yeah. finish your writing. You know, you can do this. But as long as we keep writing and sharing our stories, then the stories don't die. That's mm. part of the problem with legacy is that now that both of my grandmothers and both of my grandfathers are dead, all I have are their stories. All I have is what my granddad told me about when he was in the army, which was like, you know, he was black in army and like, I think it was like uh, the Korean war. And, and, you know, what did you do in the army, granddad? It's like, I peeled potatoes. That is all I did. Mm. I never peel another potato in my life, you know, and mm. that's what he has. Like my grandmother would never, my maternal grandmother would never talk about her namesake with anyone, hardly. But one day I was sitting there and she just decided to open up and tell me fantastic things about living in the Ozark Mountains and, you know, living in the Appalachians and stuff. And I was just like, wow, you know, she was like, oh, she was a rich woman and she was able to pass. And, you know, she would sell eggs for quilts, for materials to make quilts. She was able to pass? Yeah. Oh, so she yeah. would go in and like pretend to be yeah. white and sell these eggs. Which was hilarious because my <laughs> grandmother was 
she had several sisters, the one that told me about root work, and her sisters were like, she could pass more than the rest of us. But then I look at like her sister that was like two under her, and I'm like, well, Betty, you kind of like, you could have passed too. And she's like, not as much as your grandmother, not as mm. much as your grandmother, you know? So it just makes you wonder, like, what? But it's just, they would deal Yeah, who's with making her. these decisions? Who's the Yeah. one who's like... <laughs> Like, what's You come the, in, yeah. you know, you look, your, your hair is good. You look good. Come on in. You know, just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had like, there's so many different shades there. Yeah. The, yeah, that's like a whole other, But it's that just. brings up a lot of questions of like, how did you determine that? And how did you, you clearly are using that and leveraging that to like get certain things at certain times, you know, She like, was but able your grandmother. to get fabric and then she would make Yeah. quilts for, you know, and sell them or like give them to people in town in exchange for other things. So then what I found out was she had land and she had a big, huge house and, you know, and I'm like, she was a smart woman. She did what she needed to do to get this land and get this house and take care of her family. Mm. But I have other cousins that don't know anything about this, you know, because Mm. I've not spent time with my grandmother like that. And because their, their brains don't think like mine. I'm thinking like, what can I leave behind that shows that I was here that was significant. And that would also uplift my people. Like Mm. I don't want to have a white person, which I've been looking at books or at my job in the library. And I see so many slave stories written by white people. Like this is the story of Phyllis Wheatley written by this white man who studied all this. Why can't we tell our own stories? Why can't we do our own things, you know? So I figure by talking about hoodoo and voodoo and root work and how things were in the parish when my family was young and how things were when they moved to the Ozark Mountains and, you know, this is my legacy. This is my story. These are the things that I'm sharing so that when I'm gone, they'll say, oh, well, this was kind of like, a, you know, I, I found out, did not know that my book was being classified as African-American history. And I was like, Wait, what? Rude Rook is being classified as African-American history? African-American And history. in where? Under what? Like, how does that? What do you mean classified? Like, if It was I were to on, buy it, that's where it is? Or? no, it was on Amazon and a couple of other people have told me through Instagram and Twitter, oh no, this is like historical African-American stuff. And I'm So like, it's not, it's not under genre? I It's would not, prefer it's not considered for it to, a horror novel. I would prefer for it to be under horror, but it's But like, it's not. That's like not how it's marketed or that's not where it falls. Like if I Google it, they're not going to put it there in, in horror novels. It'll say African American horror. Fascinating. Yeah. This, I feel like your, your book is having the same trajectory as Beloved. Yeah, because Where I'm it's like, like Beloved you don't know is a what horror to novel do. and people want to act like this is a, his, they want to act like it's historical fiction. And I'm like, it's a freaking ghost story about a dead baby. Like, <laughs> Yeah. and And they're it's kind just of holding like, it up like this is gospel, you yeah. know. And so it's kind of the same thing, you know, yours is a family story about root work, about, about it's supernatural. <laughs> like it's a supernatural story. I ain't never seen three women summon some lightning in the forest before, but hey, you know, I was like, if you want to call this that historical, is, let's call yeah, like it. I would put this right in there with like the Mayfair witches. You know what I mean? Like if they were to adapt this to screen, like it would be on the same night. Yeah, but it's That's just, how I'd program it if I were it, programming. the problem is, is that when they see who wrote root work, then they classify it as such. So And when they'll you say say they, like, can we just be specific? Are we talking about publishers? talking about 
about white people. Let's just throw it out. But there. like Let's who? Just... But who? But it's got to be people in positions who can classify this. So we're talking about like district, like did not publishers because your publisher is not necessary. My publisher did not put anything about right. me being ethnic anywhere. Mm. I, that's straight. She did not. They did not do that because for her it was about the story. It wasn't about she knew because she knew yeah. what would happen basically. So, she, yeah. so like I so it's so distributors. you know it's distributors I guess so. that are doing this right like book distributors, book distributors. Yeah, like when I saw that I was on Amazon as a black writer as a African American horror and all of this and all of that, I was a little pissed because mm. I'm just like, I'm just the girl telling the story and it's a right. Story. And you were at StokerCon. Yeah, and now it's just like, oh my God, black horror is a whole genre now. You know, and I'm, no, it's not black horror. It's just horror that's written by black people. Like yeah. we are taking back ownership of things that we have had. Like someone classified it as gothic, new Southern gothic horror. What? What is the new? Why new? <laughs> I have no clue. I'm I mean, just Southern like, gothic, I get it, but like, why new? 1800s? Is that new to you? Because it's not new to me. I don't know. You know, there's nothing new about it. I have no clue. I'm just riding the check. <laughs> just riding that train. Uh, I, I don't ever really think about... It's funny because I ask this question to people. I ask questions of people and then I have to like think of like, what's my answer to this? And I'm rarely ever writing about my family Mm -hmm. my history and anything that I'm doing it's like so if it is it's so veiled and I'm so cryptic about it I actually like you know listening to you say like this is these are the stories that were, I was told and now I'm putting that you know pen to paper and and it's very direct and I started thinking about like some of the times I'll ask my parents things but or my extended family things but I use it as reference but I'm like not ever writing directly a about my my history or you know like my my personal family mm. my dad is on the other side of that like he's been slowly but surely chipping away at writing down all these things about our family specifically and like I so I, my dad is doing that work and like my I have an uncle who went around and and got a hold of all these family members so like he made some kind of like telephone book of, sort, of sorts where it's like here's the contact information for everyone all these different relatives we have like and it's so expansive it's everything you know from like folks from the south this is on my dad's side of the family so and he's from Marion, arkansas so it's like folks in the south folks who spread over to texas and california folks who are who actually live on the on the reservation we have like native american um and I, and I thought it was like, oh, from a while, you know, like second cousins, like, no, 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 it's closer than that. <laughs> like, I got that, like, that we're relatives. And I, there's also like some white secret, like white people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's also that's, that's like, oh, I found part. out that so-and-so was messing with blah, blah, blah. And that's why we were always able to go to that store and get stuff for free because actually that's our uncle. So, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. so there's also like secret white family relatives and like, they did all that and so there's so much to mine there and i just and i don't and i think it's interesting listening to you and i'm just like why trace is doing it how come well, i don't do it <laughs> here's the funny thing is that i wrote short stories before i wrote root work so i wrote yeah. like cyberpunk stories and i wrote like um 
there was a story uh, called Red Box that I wrote. Um, and I didn't know a lot of people knew me from that, but they didn't know that that was me mm. that wrote it. Cause it's like a futuristic cyberpunk story where like this girl sits next to this man on the bus and he has a red box and the box is kind of like lurching around, jumping around. You know, I've written like futuristic stories um, that won contest, like, uh, mm. and when you write horror, and I, I, I wish the audience could see the laugh, the smile on my face, because it's just so incredible. But when you write horror, and say they call up, and you know, they're like, oh, we want to do an interview. And, you know, my name is Tracy Cross. So it's, you don't know if you're calling a dude, you don't know if you're calling a chick, you're just like, well, who is this? So I answered the phone. Um, the story I wrote was a piece of good luck that won. Mm -hmm. And it was about two guys that live in the future and they were trying to overcome their bad luck. Oh, so, I remember this story. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so you know how it ends. So the the contest that I won, the guy had to call me up and he was going to interview me. And he was just like, hi, um, is Tracy there? And I'm like, hi, yeah, this is Tracy. And, you know, he's like, so, uh, and I'm like, just so you know, like, I'm not a sociopath. I'm a mom. I have three kids. And he's just like, oh, my God, thank God for this. Because I didn't know what kind of person would write this story. So when you didn't know me and you didn't see me, I think it was even more fearful of what type of person I was mm. than when you see me now and people know me now and they're just like, oh, well, you know, now you're like this African-American historian when I'm just <laughs> a girl with an active imagination, you know. He's <laughs> like, I wrote a story called Don't Go There where there's a monster in the basement of this babysitter's house. And, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. daughter tells the mom, um, I'm sorry, the daughter tells the sitter, there's my dad keeps monsters in the basement. You know? Yeah, 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 I remember this. Stuff, and then people are just like, oh, that was you? You know, I didn't know that you wrote outside of the African-American genre. Like, oh my God, and you're like, I didn't even, <laughs> any, yeah, no. And it's true, like, I, I am pretty... I have to gauge when I tell people that I write horror. Like most of the time I'm like, I write horror. Um, because I, I write more horror than I write sci-fi. Yeah, even like, the story that I had on um, Black Women Are Scary, Tika Zika. Yeah. That story, <laughs> it scared so many people. And they were, so they knew me and they listened to it. And I told you, I never told you, but my dad got out of the car and mm -hmm. ran away <laughs> because the sound effects were so intense and I'm like it's getting out of the like 10, 11 o'clock at night and I'm like you gotta listen to this story dad and he's listening to the podcast and then there's like this yeah and a little like, like sound of right being under your skin yeah it was <laughs> on the right hand side and it was in his ear and he's just like what the and he got out and he just ran down the street and I'm like in the middle of the street in Cleveland going dad come back come back it was just like, the bugs in the store. Yeah, he's just like, what the fuck was that in the car? And I'm just like, Dad, it's sorry. <laughs> oh, but that's such great. a great compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. I was just like, oh my God, you guys, this is so awesome. So when, after people listened to that, then they would approach me and they'd be like, oh my God, like I'm scared of you because you write horror. But yeah, now I just think it's so funny. Like, you know, I've had that reaction too, that they're like, you write horror that, you know, and they, they think that like, if you write 
especially black, I feel like we talked this before, but especially if I tell other black people, the immediate assumption is that something is wrong with you because the people who write yeah. horror, you know, they're devious or, or like they're messed up, you know, and that's like the first thing out of their mouth after you say like that you do it. And I'm like, this is a weird way to continue this conversation. Like, like, are you okay? Just, is like you're fine? basically just accusing me of being crazy when you, when you were the one who asked me, what is it that I do? So um, I am careful sometimes about like, you know, I'll just say sometimes I, I'm a writer, I write genre or like sometimes, I don't know, like, or I'll just say something else because it can be sticky to say that you write horror when you're not a man and you're not white. Like it's, I don't oh. know if like white men can have the same response when people are like, when, when they say that they're horror writers. I don't know, cause I don't actually don't know any white male horror writers, which is hilarious. But like, cause it's I just, I never like, talked it. I know they're never on my podcast. That's not what my podcast is about. It's, it's like, a, like, yeah, it's like a dual edge thing because like, you know, I know white men that write horror from the Horror Writers Association and they're pretty cool guys. And then I know like black horror writers, you know, we're all, everybody in the Horror Writers Association is pretty cool. As far as I know, the people that I've met. Pretty yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, it's like when I talk to other men or like are interviewed by men who are also horror writers, then they're like, do you get that whole weird like, uh, do you worship the devil on Sundays? And oh, stuff? Okay, okay. So they are getting it. Yeah. So then I'm like, oh no, we only do that. Like we only dance nude around bonfires every third Sunday of the month. I'm sorry. You yeah, know, yeah. So you don't have to like lean into it. Okay. So then it is, really is just kind of a prejudice against we're writing right. horror period yeah, we're all crazy all yeah horror we all must crazy. we all must be satan worshipers and and i think it's interesting that like that doesn't happen if you say sci-fi there are times when i say i write sci-fi and they're like oh cool and of course people immediately assume afrofuturism oh because that's all you can write Wamoto. that's all you can write you know and I'm i don't just, i don't write it at all <laughs> you sit there going like i don't even know what the hell afrofuturism is what is i it? did like i've had so many conversations on this podcast asking different people like do you know what it is because i don't think i know <laughs> like you could say that i write afrofuturism at this point i have no clue i'm just like i don't know is it like well apparently you write historical fiction and you yeah. didn't even know you were doing it so yeah, so, yeah. Like any history class, come and get Tracy because she yeah, writes. Because you write African American history. Did you not know? <laughs> girl. Like, what? segue to our our travels inspired by legacy oh yes okay so i have a little thing here that i wrote it's a hundred it's a little bit over a hundred words awesome. but this is what i this is what i was thinking about when i was reading legacy so this kind of gives you an idea of where my head was okay so it's just called inspired by the lexicographer yeah okay how does it feel to be the last one, the last to tend the fires, to watch as the others leave in one way or another? When someone visits and whispers, this place is filled with ghosts. There are no people here. The last one to pull the final bits of fruits and vegetables from the gardens. You've recorded the history, drawn the people, packed away the quilts. Now, you live in a house surrounded by things of the past as the ghost of the place that once thrived filter through and say goodbye. 
until it is time for you to leave too, your ghost body drifts away. Hmm. That's what I was your thinking. Your ghost body drifts away. Ghost body drifts away. Because you have, I just, it's like, um, when you go, like, if you go to like your grandma's house, you see the ghosts of all the things that have happened. You know, all the things, all the memories. Whenever I went over to my grandma's house, I'd see all the memories <clears throat> of all the things that I did when I was young. I would see all the memories of the kids and everything. And then there comes a time where it was like, she was older, she couldn't do the things that she did. And so now it's time to just pack it up, pack it up and hope that someone else comes along and makes new memories here with the old ghosts that are already here. That makes Yeah, sense. and it also your travel made me think of, you know, like I I watched the sixteen nineteen project, and so when they're talking about places that used to be sites, sites of violence, or this is like this is actually where they used to bury the bodies, um, or like you know black cemeteries that then got paved over and are now parking lots, <laughs> like these kinds of like the kind of like the last of something, and understanding that it is. ephemeral like this is the last of it I am the last one who's going to know or witness or be here like this in this space and then it's like not going to be anymore like so something as big as as like you're saying your grandma's house or as this island or as you know mass graveyards but then also like smaller things like I used to go to this children's theater um and that was like a a place that I would spend a lot of time in when I was a kid going to the Northwest Children's Theater. Uh, and I made a lot of friends there and it was a good time for me being there. And eventually they tore that building down to build a parking lot. And we all, all the kids and teachers who would oc occupied that space and put on a lot of shows and we put on shows and we sold out, like people were coming to see our little things, you know, little kid stars. Um, We, I remember the, the, like a cut, like a week or so before we were no longer allowed in the building, we had like one last party, Mm -hmm. one last time of that building where we just ran around. And I feel like, I remember us like drawing on the walls and like doing all these things, but I remember us taking a, the time to say goodbye to this building because we understood like it's net, you know, Northwest Children's Theater is going to move to a new space. And we're going to keep Yeah. on keeping on and they're going to keep on keeping on. They're still around. Right. And I, I went to the new space and did things over there. So it wasn't like all of this is ending, but like this time in this place and this building where we did these things is This over. was a ghost of what was there. Yeah. And we actually like we're tweens, you know, it's like 11, 12 year olds. You're old enough to understand Oh, or at least to begin to understand, like, things will get torn down, things will be taken away, <laughs> things will fade, you know, let's celebrate, but, like, this is it, it's not going to be like this, because it's not going to be here, you know? And it kind of also makes me think about, like, that, like, understanding, under an understanding of that, and I haven't, my God, I haven't even thought about that in forever, like, it was bittersweet, it was happy, but we were also... Because when you're young like that, you think everything is eternal. Yeah. It'll always be here. It'll always Yeah, like it'll always be like this.
ballet. I'm like, oh, the Institute of Dance will always be here. And I'll always remember riding my bike here and doing ballet and eating orange slices in the back, you know, between classes and changing into point shoes and stuff. And then I went by and I found out like the director died and they tore the building down. And that just brought a tinge of sadness to me. I mean, I was just like, oh, but it doesn't matter because whenever I go by, I see the ghost of the building. I hear the music playing. I see the piano guy. I see everything that's there. You know, I'm sure that the other girls that were there with me probably may not be as nostalgic as I was, but you do see it. And the ghost will always be there. That's the thing about it. No matter what, the ghost of the past will always haunt the present wherever it is they'll always be there that's the one thing that makes me sad is that um the ghost will always be there no matter what happens it's just whether hmm. or not you remember to put them there hmm. so here's mine I, I didn't mean to make you upset i'm sorry no no it just ha it's like now i'm ready to read this thing um <laughs> my legacy is fire it started in my hands but all of me goes up in flames. People say it's because of the medications or the blood or even the water. They say it's a, a natural mutation because everything is, is hot now, so why wouldn't the children be too? But they still try to round us up, so I guess it's not that, that natural. My mom says it's the fire times and we are the fire children. That we are just in our time and the fire in us will stop burning when it's time. Maybe. I mean, I ain't never seen no, no water baby or wind baby or plant baby. I guess when it's their time, they'll show up. I guess legacy has to take turns. It's the fire burning in us that will die that is just so wow fire yeah wow 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 it's i wow i'm just like tripping the whole thing because it's just like when you equate something with fire fire feels like eternal and mm. say that the fire dies that's just wow that's really traumatic <laughs> yeah that that we are in our time and the fire in us will stop burning when it's time when it's time which means hopefully someone else will pick up that fire and let it keep burning the flame should well, be eternal. i kind of go into like the whole i ain't never seen you know water baby or wind baby or plant baby but like that you know that everyone will have their there will be these different kinds of children that will have these elements kind of flames too I mean, or yeah, or it'll be a different, it'll be a different kind of fire, but like, I don't know. This was sort of loosely based on my name. So my, my name means fire time woman. And it is because of when I was born. And my mother did tell me like this time right now is are are the fire time. So it's like you have the wind times, the water times, this just like you have the ice age, you know, so this is like from an indigenous, from an indigenous perspective, right? So it's like these times are the fire times and they're the most destructive. So wow. they, my parents named me for the year, for the actual like time that I am born and, and living in. So the fire that's what my that's what my name means, fire time woman. Fire times are the most destructive right now. Yeah, and we are right now in fire times.
thinking about their ideas of legacy and that they like, you know, told me and then how do I feel about it? And then also the lexicographer. So, Well, I feel you know, like you are blazing a path on your own, especially from when we first met to now, you know, I just feel like you are the firewoman. You are blazing a path. You are Thought about the all that. that is doing the thing. That's how I feel. That's why, you know, I, whenever I talk, I'm like, you know, if you ever need something, my moto's the one. You got to get Dusky Projects on there. You got to do it. So, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that a lot. I always trust me. I think my friends are probably sick of me saying it, but I'm just like, oh, you need audiovisual? Dusky Projects. Oh, you need this? Dusky Projects. You know, so I mean, even I would like for you to participate in root work. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> Um, I do too. it's just. I don't know. I just thought it would just be interesting to open up something saying like fire is my legacy because it's, again, the idea... What I was inspired by with the lexicographer is that it sounds so awful, but it really kind of ends up like it's a look at disaster that looks at it as as the beginning, as an opportunity to restore and renew. Like this thing was flooded, but then it's like they come they come back. Like, you know, it's like a, it's kind of a comeback story. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, so what, you know, fire is so destructive, but a lot of people also use fire to like burn um, dead plants and stuff and all these things out of the way to... So that new life can grow. Like fire is also cleansing. Yep. Yes. This is what I say. Fire cleanses all. That is what I say every day. Fire cleanses all. Fire can also be used to uh, make things like art. I've seen where fire has been used to make art. Mm. Mm. I think that's interesting because I just got from the lexicographer like the idea of almost hoarding the memories of of whatever it was to the point where you're so surrounded by it that you can't let it go until you let go, There's you know? that in there too. I mean, I don't think that there was, he was a lexicographer and there were many others because those were the only ones who cared about human history and language. And so they were writing it down. Like that's the impression I got from this story is that there are people who care about it because the, the robots damn well don't. <laughs> you know, like the robots aren't going to do anything to preserve human culture. They might do stuff to preserve human life, but that's not the same thing. I used to have you ever seen the show Life After People? No. Oh my god, I love Life After People because it's it's simultaneously depressing, but it's also great because it shows you what happens when people die and when people leave civilizations and nature takes over. And then everything starts to turn back to the way that nature once was. Like they're discovering animals that they thought were extinct in Australia. And they were like, you know, and the only way that they could find these animals is if they put out, you know, those night cameras and then, an, and like an animal. Oh, so they're just in hiding. Like Yeah. they thought they were extinct, but it's just like, oh, they just don't come out. Yeah. And then it just walks by like, doopie, 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 doopie. And you're just like, wait a Oh. minute. Yo, I thought that thing was distinct. You know, like, <laughs> like there's creatures at the bottom of the ocean that we haven't even seen Yeah. because it's Oh, yeah. so far down. Like they're, Oh, and it's also vast. Like we've we've explored one percent. yeah, like Like they're, that's outer space. That might as they're aliens. like now and pulling it up into the boat and they're like why does this fish have human teeth like what is happening here you know Yeah, 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 yeah. There it's is so both much there is both like the ocean floor and it's and it's mystery. 
And then there's what we're doing to the ocean and then the way that the things are adapting to deal with our like mounds of trash, mm -hmm. right? So like some of that is killing things and some of that is also like, again, life finds a way. So they're like, all right, now we've got this like island of plastic and, <laughs> and they've made like a new thing. Um, hence fish with human teeth. Yeah, fish with human teeth, which freaks me out. I think I saw that picture. I, I'm not sure if that's real. If that's like one of those like, I you know, the, the, the internet has like urban legends, you know what I'm saying? Like doctored <laughs> photos and this just like becomes like it's own These fish have big human teeth. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's real though. Is that real? That might not be real. <laughs> that might have been a hoax. But anyway, um, we are totally over. I know. I, Thank I just you. wanted to say Root Works 2 should be coming out next year. And I don't think I could get in trouble by saying the title of it. So I okay. will give you the title. It's called um, The Conjure Series Book Two, A Gathering of Weapons. Nice. So this is book two of Root Work, everybody. And it's Dark Heart that's putting it out. Dark Heart yeah. is the publisher. Safety's not going to like beat me up so bad because I gave away the title. But it, okay. it, it, it'll be coming soon. And I did read an excerpt from one part of it called Viola and the Cinnamon Hand. So all of our friends are back. Pee-wee's back. Lone Wolf's mm. back, Teddy's mm. back, you know, this is going to be a really interesting one that I've been having a lot of fun working on. And just, it's one of those things where I wish that I could like get a fellowship and take off six straight months and just mm. write. Don't we all? Don't we all? Well, I'm glad to have you on as like a Black Women Are Scary alum because we produced, you know, two of your short stories and now I have you on as a flash fiction guest, which is great. So, and I always I always get excited to be like, Tracy's doing a thing. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to our Flash Fiction Fridays. Tune in next Friday for the start of our Flash Fiction Frenzy. We'll be airing Flash Fiction episodes every week for the month of May with special guests scary stories, and of course, spooky black chicks. Till next time.